punch drunk. The punches weren't really necessary. Maybe they were super necessary. Welcome to episode 34 of the Punch Drunk Podcast, your favourite combat sports podcast hosted by two dudes who can't fight and know way less about fighting than they think they do. I'm your host, Lewis, and on today's show, we're going to review all the major talking points from UFC 273 and what a card we were treated to. It met all the expectations we had going into it. The dust has barely settled. I have barely slept. I'm running off fried food and caffeine, and joining me to recap all of the action, as always, is my co-host, Adam. What is going on? Here he is, the thunder from down under, Adam Tracy. (laughs) Mate, the bulk is the fucking go. Don't at me. Pound for pound, number one, the greatest featherweight of all time, Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. What a performance. Man, he just, he did everything he said he'd do and better. He came out to this song, obviously, and um, did us proud. I remember like after the, the Ortega fight, I was so proud that like he was an Aussie, like the way he represented, the way he fought. And, um... I feel like he earned Tim to be a little bit arrogant this time around, and uh, he just put on an, an absolute clinic. It was um, it was amazing. Uh, zombie is truly a zombie, but uh, he's just not he's not on that that Volk level. And even I was questioning myself. The closer the fight got, I'm like, is Volk really that good? For some reason, like with the Aussies, I just can never believe they're as good as they are. Like I've got no problem just saying, you know, a Kamara Usman's a fucking beast. He's going to destroy this person. Going to destroy that person. And then when it's an Aussie, I'm like, oh, maybe they're not as good as I think they are. You know, maybe I'm overhyping it, blah, blah, blah. But he did everything he needed to do and more. I think there's just no question marks on that he belongs in the top two, maybe the top pound-for-pound fighters at the moment. And, uh, yeah, really excited to see what happens next. But that entire card, man, it was really good. There was a couple of slowish fights, a couple of decisions, and I'm like, hopefully these top three fights do what we're expecting him to do and holy fuck <laughs> they did everything and more that's it man there are some other fights to talk about and we will get to those but we'll spend the bulk of the show talking about the top three fights and we will start with volkanovsky and as you said it just was a clinic it didn't feel like he was in danger at all even when zombie landed some clean shots on him. Volk just seemed to eat them and keep going forward. And I think that's something we talked with with BB on on the previous show. Volk's conditioning is just at another level. He's able to eat those kind of shots and mm-hmm. keep going. People were saying before this, you know, Zombie's one of the hardest hitters in the division. And he ate those shots clean and just kept walking forward. In hindsight, when we were watching the Embedded and seeing all of the countdown and preview content around the show, Zombie's pad work just looks so slow and labored compared to what Volkanovsky brings inside the cage. And that was evident from the opening bell. His jab was so fast. He worked the inside leg kick so well, and he just got Zombie's timing down and just just pieced him up in severe fashion. The fight was stopped in the fourth round by Herb Dean, but it really, honestly, his corner did him no favor sending him back out there. There was no need for them to do that. It was just a complete one-sided beatdown. Volk took the fight wherever he wanted to go. He was working ground and pound. He had some beautiful trip takedowns. He worked him up against the cage well. Everything Volkanovski wanted to do in that fight, he handled his business and more and put some humongous shots on Zombie, who is one of the most durable, toughest guys. But we talk about it time and time again. 
these tough guys need saving from themselves because it wasn't like he was hurting Volkanovsky when he was landing those one-off shots. It really didn't feel like he had a puncher's chance. So I have no idea why his corner was sending him back out there. And I'm very glad Herb Dean was able to uh, to step in and stop the fight when he did. I've got a question for you. You're, you're a rules man. You know the game. What is the victory called if they call the fight at the end of the third round, if the doctor stops it or whatever? Is it a doctor's stoppage? It's TKO via doctor's stoppage, okay. I believe. So my KO or slash TKO bet still gets up. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that bet still that still gets in. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, agree yeah. with you then. Definitely should have been stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting there at the end of the third, I'm like, please don't fucking stop this. Please don't fucking stop this. Because I was chasing my losses from the parlay with the Volk KO. And uh, came through, came through. That was, in hindsight, the bet of the week, of the month, of the day, whatever you call it, Volk, TKO slash KO, is, that was free money. It was $3.60 or something like that. Like, that, that yeah, is really just, you throw your fucking mortgage on that and you don't even watch it. That's, and that is responsible gambling, exactly. ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Just throw your fucking mortgage on it. Don't worry about it. You need, if you need to sleep in your car with your kids next month, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't have been. You'll be sleeping in your mansion no, no. with your Porsche. And if, and it, your... <laughs> if, if you lose, you just uh, throw the deed to your car in it and you just double down, chase your losses, as all good responsible gamblers do. Exactly. Just tune into uh, Punch Trunk and the next parlay will get, get you up. <laughs> so, yeah, this is uh, an absolute clinic by Volkanovski and – his post-fight press conference was really interesting and he was quite open about whatever he wants to do next. He discussed the possibility of Max Holloway. He discussed the possibility of moving up to 155. He said if another true number one contender emerges in the featherweight division, he'll take that fight. But really, he's in a position now to call the shots and he knows it. And it's great to see him taking control of his own fight destiny, his own career, and acting as the true champion as is is right because he is the true undisputed champion at 145 pounds. You can miss me with, oh, Max Holloway maybe got robbed in one or two. What what Alexander Volkanovsky has been able to do and the levels he's been able to ascend to since then, yes, there will be a third fight in time, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. In fact, only a few episodes ago, we were both saying we'd watch them fight five times, six times. Yeah. That's they, There is, it's, Volk and Holloway and then daylight between the rest of the division. Why would you not want to see that fight over and over again? It's going to be incredible. But he's got the right and earn that well, uh, you know, by any stretch of the imagination to to call his shots. And I'm very excited to see what what he does next. Uh, we may as well just talk about that then. Like what what do you think happen next watch i'm sure you've got a theory you've always got a solid theory looking at fighters coming forward you've always got you're usually ahead of the game um you're a bit of a matchmaker yourself so tell me who who you think will happen next and then at the end just throw us who you want to see next mate i'm not going to be able to get these headphones on if you keep blowing up my head like this (laughs) um look i think it's boring but i do think the fight that, that gets made is max holloway uh, I think that is probably the the right thing to do as well in terms of the division. I think Max has earned that after his uh, sensational performances. So I think that's happened. And then they can put that in the rearview mirror. Volk, I think Volk wins that fight. He gets that done. And then he can potentially just leave the featherweight division behind, potentially for good. He's maybe cleared that out or he can go off on a little sojourn up to 155 for a couple of fights and come back down to fight someone like Arnold Allen or Calvin Cater, who maybe emerges at the top of the division in due course. Or he fights Holloway, and then maybe he waits for Henry Cejudo to get himself back into and through the USADA six-month testing pool uh, protocols. Because he said he'd be interested in that fight, and one thing he did mention was that he's interested in big-name fights, fights that are going to sell, fights that are going to make him the money, and fights that are going to cement his legacy. And so clearing up, there's two fights right now that makes that make sense in terms of that. One is obviously uh, closing out any doubters and the Max Holloway stands who refuse to admit that even one of the fights Volk definitely won. And secondly, is taking out a former two-weight champ, 
Triple C, the guy who, you know, likes to keep talking and chipping in from the sidelines. Well, okay, that'd be a huge fight as well. He brings a lot of name value. He's becoming a bit of a celebrity coach these days. And I actually think Cejudo's stock is bigger now than it was when he was the two-weight world champion because he's just managed to build himself this profile by associating himself with other high-level fighters. And Cejudo's stock is higher than it's ever been, in my opinion, in terms of sellability, marketability. So Henry Cejudo brings that in, you know, brings that in space. Did you know he was an Olympian, Cejudo? Was he? Yeah. yeah really? He doesn't talk about it much. But, uh, he doesn't talk about it at all. Neither does uh, Omadzen either. <laughs> like they, these Olympians, they just don't mention it. It's, Mate, it's crazy. If I was they should an talk Olympian, about it more. I would, I would wake up and just start screaming out my window, I was an Olympian. Uh, I am an <laughs> Olympian. Like, I know you're complaining about it, but like, Basically, that would be my comeback to everything. If someone hangs shit on me, I'm like, you know I went to the Olympics, yeah? You, you know that, don't you? Yeah, cool, cool. Just making sure. Just making sure. Just making sure. Yeah. Mum would be like, can you um, put what- the bins out? I'm like, you know I'm an <laughs> Olympian, don't you? You know that, Mum. Yeah. Yeah. How about you do that? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to get hurt, do you? Because I might not make it to the next Olympics. Can't be doing dangerous activities like putting the bins out. <laughs> yeah. I-, I went to the Olympics and I still live with my parents. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, a lot of Olympic athletes are poor AF anyway because they're doing garbage sports that doesn't pay any money. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's a whole other podcast before we upset all the Olympic stands. Um, Play a real Just looking at the pussies. light. <laughs> <laughs> Fake athletes. Um, <laughs> let's look at the lightweight picture real quick and see who Volk might be able to move up and challenge. I think it would be, and he has earned the right to go up and try to take double champ status. I think that's would be the only move. We obviously now have it confirmed. 274, Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje, which is going to be an absolute banger. You've got Islam Makachev knocking on the door for his title shot and always lurking in the background. You do have the specter of Conor McGregor. Now, from an athletic perspective, is he worthy of coming in and fighting at 55 for the title? Absolutely fucking not. If that's what he wants to do and is going to make the UFC a lot of money, is that is what is that what's going to happen? You can bet your life on it. However, <laughs> Connor has made a big deal out of talking about going to 170. He said it pretty much in all of his recent public appearances. He's talked about going to be a three-weight world champion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, putting the merits of that conversation to the side for one moment, I actually think it's a really bad idea for the UFC to give Volkanovski a fight against Conor McGregor. Because if Conor McGregor loses that on his return, you can just kiss all big future fights, title fights, pretty much goodbye. Because if he loses to a featherweight after talking about, you know, being the lightweight champ and going up to 170 and all that kind of stuff. Isn't that just pretty much what happens right anyway if he loses his next fight? Yes, but the risk to the UFC losing what Volkanovski has built is also on the other side. I think there's a less it's just a less risky proposition for the UFC if 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 uh, if Charles loses to, to to Connor. I don't know, I just feel like Volk is just this growing into this burgeoning star. He's cleaning out the 145. He's talk of pound for pound, goat status, etc. I just feel they lose more by putting Volkanovski into that mix than they do with Conor McGregor. Maybe I haven't explained that very well, but it's just kind of a feeling that I've got that it's a worse lose-lose situation. And if Conor loses at 155 or 170, you can still go, well, you know, he's either fighting bigger guys or he's fighting the best 155 at Charles Oliveira. If he loses to the 145-pound champ, Volkanovski, when, you know, Connor's blown up to this massive size and he still gets sparked out or taken down by, by Volkanovski, who admittedly is a smaller featherweight and doesn't struggle to make 145 at all. In fact, he was 144 and a half pounds on the scale. I just think that makes Connor look even worse and really dampens his marketability into whatever he decides to do next. So I just think the UFC will steer away from that from now. Maybe Volk does something else and then down the line. Yeah. I think um, that, that fight with Connor could always be there. Yeah, I think all signs point to Connor 
not losing much more weight anyway. Like he's if anything, yeah. he's going to fight at one seventy. Like I think one seventy is the most most likely outcome. Which all of a sudden, and maybe this is a great segue into the with the welterweight division, uh, and we'll we'll circle back to one hundred and thirty five pounds. But the welterweight division all of a sudden is is looking quite quite interesting again, and we potentially have a bit of a six man tournament emerging after after. Um, Kamzat Chimaev came through the fire and got it done against Gilbert Burns, who, as we reminded you on the preview show, is in the elite of the elite fighters and belongs in the conversation with the best 170-pound fighters on the planet. And Chimaev had his toughest toughest test to date and dropped around. You know, you've got clowns on Twitter saying Gilbert Burns won the fight, robbery, etc. Nonsense. Chimaev won the fight, but it wasn't easy, and Gilbert Burns made him work for it. That was the toughest fight. I, I dare say that all of Chimaev's pro fights combined were less difficult than what he went through in this fight. It was just a true test. Gilbert Burns showed what a BMF he is, showed the heart of a champion, showed his durability, his grit, his will, his desire to keep swinging even though he was hurt. But Chimaev ate it all up and kept coming back for more. And quite frankly, probably fought an unintelligent fight and just wanted to stand and throw hands and really left his fight IQ outside of the cage. If he had been smarter, he he could have probably got a stoppage in that fight. Mate, I don't think we're doing this enough justice. You saw the fight. I saw the fight. This was, it was unbelievable. one of You're right. the best fights we have ever yeah. seen in the fucking... You're absolutely right. I think... Um, it's an all-timer. It's probably going to be fight of the year. Yeah. Dana White gave Gilbert Burns his win bonus anyway, even though he didn't win because it was that good of a fight. It got fight of the night. And you're right. We, I certainly wasn't doing it enough justice to kind of like segued into it. But this was a banger of a fight that lived up to all expectations. And it was crazy from the beginning. Chemayev sprinting to the cage. Gilbert Burns coming out with like the champion level walkout while Kamzat sat on the top of the cage waiting for How him. Good was that's that? one of the gonna be that's gonna be one of the most iconic fight pitches of all time. Kamzat sat on the cage waiting for him. It's I've like he was like, I wanna, I wanna see his walkout. I wanna see his walkout. And yeah. he just jumped on top He's of like, the I'm part of this. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. Thank you for for calling me out and like raising my raising my enthusiasm for that because I was just no, no, ambling I think you've just that. gotten to the anal- analysis point before we'd gotten to the holy fucking shit point of how <laughs> insane this fucking fight was because everything you said was exactly exactly what happened and accurate. But I, I fucking I'm nearly a little bit pissed off at this because it couldn't have worked out any better for the UFC. It's like one. The guy they want to win ends up winning. Two, it was probably fight of the year. And three, it kind of puts respect on just how good the top five are in UFC divisions, you know? It's like, hang on a second. We are still the fucking best fighters on planet Earth. I know you're beating everyone else, but once you hit the top five, just fucking park the brakes, mate. You're not that fucking good. It was just like Dana couldn't have fucking written the script any better than that. He he literally it worked out perfectly. Gilbert Burns' stock somehow is elevated, I think, yeah, after exactly. this. <laughs> Even though he lost, his stock goes up, Chemayev's stock goes up, and because he didn't run through Burns in 30 seconds or inside the first round, there is no immediate clamoring to, to give Chemayev the next title shot. So the UFC gets to make sure that they do Usman versus Leon Edwards. So that's locked in. That's a given. That performance doesn't earn Shumayev a title shot. You then give him Colby Covington, which is going to be on the ABC card, which is going to be huge because that is a, a huge like free-to-air channel in the US that everyone gets. And the UFC does one show a year because uh, of their broadcast deal with ESPN as, or something like that, as I understand it. The eyeballs on that are going to be huge. Shumayev versus Covington headlining that will be out of control. The the social media numbers, oh, the press the, conferences, the views, the press com. It's going to be 
crazy. He's been calling him cum Colby, shot for like over Colby a year. Colby calling now. him cum shot and he's going to be saying, oh, he took all his shots. I'm going to take him down. His wrestling stink. All of that is going to be absolutely electric. And then in the background, you've got the the uh, next fight night coming up is, is going to be uh, Luke versus Bilal Muhammad. And you go, wow, that's what, f- uh, four, four and five or five and six ranked welterweights in the world. And you go, okay, Gilbert, you go rest up, son. You've earned that. You took some shots. Take, take five, four or five months off and you can have the winner of Vincente Luque against Bilal Muhammad because that matchup perfectly makes sense as well. So all of a sudden, the welterweight division, which just, you know, a couple of months ago, we were going, well, as Usman cleared it out, what's left in the division You go, is all of a sudden alive and electric again. It's And then maybe you throw Connor into the mix, just an absolute wild card at 170. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to win the belt or anything like that. I'm not making any predictions towards that. But you can't tell me that throwing Connor into that mix with those top five doesn't make welterweight all of a sudden an enticing, exciting, electric division again. Yeah. It, it, honestly, the tinfoil hat is coming on at the moment because I feel like Dana has written this script. <laughs> he, he rung up Vince McMahon and he's like, how does the WWE operate? Because every your, your storyline seemed to work out perfectly all the time. Give me some tips. And he just took every fucking note he could. And this welterweight division is written like a WWE script right now. Um, Dana basically called, uh, he called the Hamza and Colby fight. He said that was going to happen before this fight even fucking went off. Yep, he said on it the during Pat the McAfee week. Show. Yeah, so it's like, well, <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and I really do despise most conspiracy theorists. But, uh, geez, this worked out even better than he could have probably. It's, it's actually it's probably worked out too too good, and he couldn't have planned it this well in a weird way. You know, maybe you could plan the yeah. KO or something like that. You can't plan this. The pieces have fallen into place remarkably well, and it means we're insured an absolute banger of a fight with Kamaru and Leon Edwards. And let me tell you something, and this is not just the English fight fan in me speaking, although it partly is. (laughs) Do not sleep on Leon Edwards. He, If we see the sort of line that we saw for Gilbert Burns versus Chomaev, then you bet your ass I'm laying Adam's entire mortgage on... on, uh, Leon Edwards to win. I'm I'm borrowing your rent money Mate, and I'm betting it. Oh fucking bet! You have to, you have to get an Australian fucking flag tattooed on you if if Leon oh. Edwards <laughs> wins that fight. No, what? What? I mean, there is no way a, Niger- a Nigerian one. A Nigerian one. Okay. Uh, all right, that then. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! I just. I just painted myself into a real bad corner. You just have to get I am Nigerian tattooed on you somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and Nigerian I get to choose king. where. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, um, honestly, shit. I'm happy to have some sort of little juicy bet with you because Kamara Uswin is going to just turn that guy into a fucking statue, I'm pretty sure. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> we, we've got plenty of time. We've got plenty of time to talk so about would, that. Plenty of time to talk about that. So would Gilbert Burns. I'm not, so I'm would not, I'm not entertaining this. Actually. I'm going to do not, different I'm, weight classes. Well, yeah, probably because he's the <laughs> fucking middleweight champion of the world. <laughs> but they're all saying that Usman would, uh, could probably beat Izzy. There's no way Leon could. Usman couldn't beat. Israel Adesanya. But anyway, let us not get distracted. We have so much more to talk about with UFC 273, and we'll now circle back to the Bantamweight Championship of the World, which was a was an interesting fight. It was very different to the first one, obviously, and, you know, it's caused quite some controversy online. And, Adam, I know we were talking about it, but for the benefit of the listeners, how did you score the fight? Did you think it was the right outcome? I... I- I'm a firm believer. I know that Aljo got the boat, the belt, I should say, in a controversial way, but I'm a firm believer in like if it's a really tight decision, which this was, I can see arguments for both sides. Um, the guy with the belt should hang on to the belt. It's happened with uh, John Jones has done it a couple of times, I think. Um, Izzy's done it before. I feel like if there's, you know, if it's if it's a if it's a toss of the coin, you probably deserve to hang on to the belt and. Usually it's just like, yep, fair call. But this 
particular circumstance is the weirdest circumstance ever because a lot of people think Jan or kind of believe that he is the guy that has the belt still if it wasn't for what happened in the fight before. So in a weird way, that knee has cost him two championship fights, I, I feel like now. Like he's obviously lost the one before and I feel like if he was the champ going into that fight, the judges might have ruled it in his favour nearly because um, it was a really close fight. I think Aljo fought a really, really smart fight. Probably if he was as good, like with all that ground dominance, like if you if you really, really are the superstar that you are, he probably should have submitted him with like the amount yeah. of time he had there. But far, like, I, I don't know, like we all know how fucking good Yarn is. Like insane. He's a fucking freak. The fact that you just went through five rounds and had that much dominance at all is pretty fucking incredible. But there's no way I'm going to die on a hill of who won that fight. It was super close. I know most people are going for Yarn, but most people were also going for Yarn before the fight started. So like they're just going to team up on that side. That's true. Honestly, from what I've seen, the reaction online is it's seemed to be a bit split down the middle. Uh, Dana White came out and said that he had it three rounds to two in favor of Jan, and you could see on his face he thought Jan won. He was a bit puzzled by the decision. Uh, I genuinely did think Jan edged the first round, and then it was quite clear Aljo dominated. Dominated rounds two and three. Two was a bit a bit more significant, uh, and then and then Piotr Jan was just excellent in rounds four and five. However, you could argue that the second round potentially was a 10-8 round, and I really did think it was going to be a draw. I thought that was going to be the outcome of the fight. Now, I'm not going to die on a hill one way or the other because I did think Jan did enough to win the fight. It's hard when you lose two rounds in a row so significantly to then flip that momentum and perform as well as he did. And... You know, we're recording this just afterwards. We haven't had the benefit of going back and watching that, especially that first round. As I recall, it wasn't very action intensive, shall we say. Jan did take the center of the cage. He was the one sort of walking Aljo down, but there, there wasn't really too much. So it can be a bit of a flip of a coin. And it probably depends on who you were rooting for, who you were betting on, is sort of how, how you saw. So do I think... Jan is the better fighter? Yeah, I do. And am I going to waver from my take that he could end up being the greatest bantamweight of all time? No, I'm not. I think he showed in that fight all of the skills which make him one of, if not the best, 135-pounder on the planet. The fact of the matter is, Aljo went for about 17 takedowns and landed two. Now, when he landed those two, he was able to completely control and ragdoll and dominate Jan on the ground. It should be said that Jan's take, uh, submission defense was really good, considering Aljo had about four minutes in the in the second round of of ground control and taking his back and landing landing some some shots. He did really well to survive that, and I think Aljo would be disappointed he wasn't able to get the finish. And then for Jan to come back in rounds four and five and perform the way he did, stuff multiple takedowns over and over, land heavy shots on on Aljo. I just thought it was a great fight and. We're lucky. We're going to see it again. We're going to see at least the trilogy of this fight. It might end up being a Brandon Moreno, um, Figueredo situation where we see a fourth iteration of it as well. There is probably, uh, you know, a deeper group of contenders at 135 pounds. So maybe we don't see that for quite some time. Looks like TJ Dillashaw is going to be the next man up, which I love that fight against Sterling, there's no guarantee that Sterling holds onto the belt because TJ Dillashaw is such a beast. And he's a great wrestler as well. And Sterling might struggle to take him down. And if he can't take take TJ down and control him, he's certainly going to lose a striking battle there. This is just a, you know, a really exciting time at 135 pounds. You've got many names in the mix. It's a really talented, elite division filled with guys and Sterling and Jan belong at that list. And you know what? I've got to take my hat off to, to Aljamain Sterling, who was getting beaten badly. Um, again, it's something we said on the on the previous show. I said we shouldn't underestimate the benefit that he had of this neck surgery and getting back to full health and being able to pace himself over five rounds and have that confidence in his cardio and his conditioning. And it looked like he was in much better shape going into this one. 
but he will be disappointed he can get the finish. And so there will be question marks over his legitimacy as the champ. If he, if he submitted Jan, all of those questions go away. And now there is just discourse and narrative online. And quite frankly, as I said, I'm not dying on this hill. If you want to say Aljo won that first round, I'm not going to argue with you because it was a very close round. You know, I think... And he won the fight. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a draw could have been on the cards as well. I think, you know, all three outcomes were available and not crazy going to the judges' scorecards, which is just a testament to how close this this fight was, which is why we're going to see it again. And when that happens, I can't wait for it. Yeah, I thought it was... What I loved about those... The, like, obviously, we were all looking forward to the three the three main fights on this card, the last three fights, and they yep. gave us everything. They gave us the fucking just bar fight, phone booth, brawl. Like, if you're a casual, you're probably disgusted by it, fight... Then we got the technical, a lot of wrestling fight where if you're a casual, you're probably also hated because it was, you know, not not um, electrifying. And then we got the just pure dominant showing off your skills showcase with Volk. So you got you got everything tonight and we got, there was all these under, like massive underdogs that everyone except Zombie was basically like, these, are, these odds are offensive, especially Aljo who ended up winning. Um and I think we need to start learning from that as well. Like we get yep. every time there's a shitload of underdogs, it, I would love to look back and see how many times all of them have lost. You know, one of them usually gets up. You just got to pick the right one. But holy shit. Yeah, Sterling that's Yarn. a great way of describing it. It was like a, it was like a, it was like a tasting menu of everything you would want from a UFC event in the top three fights. we got something for everyone. You're right. we got that fight of the year, that just slobber knocker, that barn burner. And then we got that real technical back and forth. And we saw an elite grappler dominate on the ground. And then we saw an elite striker dominate on the feet. So there was a little bit of something for everyone there. And then, as you said, with the main event, we got that just almost legacy cementing fight. That, wow, he is levels above. That was, you know, Anderson Silva-esque, yes. right? Where you just go, wow, no, this guy is way better. He's cleared out everyone. Mm. And it's like, and well, even if Zombie next? isn't the second best guy, even if he's not the third best guy in the division, even if he's the fourth, look how far ahead of him Volk is. Like, he's fucking miles ahead of that fourth guy or that third guy. Like, it is And it we just saw... But the top five in any division is going to be really, really difficult. Yeah. Really difficult. So the levels we're talking about here is just absolutely, absolutely crazy. Yeah, it it, it nearly does, like, to, to be that dominant nearly does you a disservice sometimes because people forget just how insanely good those guys that he's doing that to are. And um, yeah, he's pretty much done it to everyone except Holloway. Obviously, he beat Holloway, but it was, it was not that dominant. Like, Holloway is a fucking monster as well. And, um, yeah, I can't wait till those two fight again, man. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm here for it. What Do you want to start touching on some of the other fights on the card now? Or is there anything else you wanted to bust up on those top three? No, I think we every, we said everything we need to say on those yep. three. Uh, just delivered. They all delivered. 100%. We got You got your money's worth if you, if you bought that pay-per-view. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, some some other fights on on the card. We obviously we had uh, Mackenzie Dern against Tisha Torres. That was a really really entertaining fight. Just had everything you want, and other than Mackenzie Dern getting a submission victory, which was unfortunate. She was so close, so close. Oh yeah, if and- you're like sorry to cut you off. Like I, I, I'm sure some people that listen to this probably don't even watch the fights, or maybe just watch the main fight or two. So they probably didn't see the Dern fight and probably saw that Dern was in the parlay. If you were on, like, if you saw that fight and saw how close she was to getting a submission, you would be pissing yourself laughing if you didn't bet on it or you'd be crying yourself to sleep if you did bet on it because she basically had about two or three submissions locked in by the looks of it. One was saved by the bell. One, uh, two others were just um, well defended. 
but I, I was sitting there. Yeah, like, sheer is, grit. This is done. This is done. The this is done. done. I was like, yeah, cash it, <laughs> cash it, baby. <laughs> Mackenzie Dern got it done again. Ready? Yeah. But no, uh, Tisha, Tisha Torres uh, performed very, very well. But I, I was very impressed with Mackenzie Dern. She bounced back from a disappointing loss against Marina Rodriguez, and she stormed out of the gates like a wild woman, throwing hands. Now. Her boxing still isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it is improving fight by fight under Jason Perillo. And she landed some hard shots on Tisha Torres. She's a strong girl. She she can hit. And the reason why she's able, to, I think, and I'm, again, no expert analyst, but I think one of the reasons why she's able to throw with such reckless abandon is she has zero, and I mean zero, fear of being taken down ending up on her back, getting tied up in the clinch. If that happens, that's a dream come true for her. Yeah, exactly. She is so far above, when we talk about levels in jiu-jitsu and grappling, so far above anyone in the division, any other woman on the roster, her jiu-jitsu is off the charts. And we saw how quickly she was able to string together submission attempts that entire sequence where she pulls guard and is trying to get a kimura up against the fence torres defends it amazingly she gets to the ground it was just tremendous grappling it was such an entertaining fight and i'm glad we're talking about it because it could be one of those fights that sort of gets lost in the shuffle because of how good burns chemayev was how good the rest of the card was a little bit like uh, Billy Quarantillo against Shane Burgos because that had to follow um, that had to follow Taylor. Michael Chandler uh, <laughs> and Justin Gaethje, right? But that that was an all time fight. Uh, I'm not saying this was an all time fight, but you get where I'm going. It was a very entertaining fight. It had everything you could possibly want from it, other than a McKenzie Dern submission victory. Thank you. <laughs> My Bet Three Six Five account is crying right now. Um, but yeah, a really exciting fight. Split decision. Tisha Torres was very disappointed. I did think Dern just did enough to win the fight. I had no problem with the de decision. And it'd be interesting to see sort of what what happens what happens next for these these uh these you, two women at Have you ever seen a fighter like I know you said she's she's not afraid of it going to the ground, but it's not only that, like I don't think men or women, like I'm sure we've seen there are fighters that like men or whoever that have been stronger jiu-jitsu players, but like I've never seen someone that confident to just try and get jiu-jitsu into an MMA fight than she is. Like, Yeah, I, it, I remember Damian Maya doing it sometimes, but Damian Maya's striking was so bad that, uh, you know, it just it just didn't quite he, – he just never progressed at the same rate. Um, and he was – yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I mean, Paul Craig – Paul Craig yeah. would just would just love, <laughs> love the fight to be on the ground. He just pumps <laughs> actual haymakers. Yeah, from just the like ground. please punch me in the face and knock me to the ground so just I can triangle like you. A, dribble me like a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. She is she is just so gung ho, and I also think it helps that rea in reality you can't you know, get slipped. Right, she's fighting at straw right away, and these. Yeah, even if she took took some shots, unless it's like a clean head kick, like we saw with uh, Rose knocking out Zhang Weili, yeah. for example, or Molly's elbow. it is hard. It is, yeah, it is hard. It is hard to get those uh, those kind of finishes. Yeah, you don't see them. But ninety percent of the time, if not more, if you if you back a, a women's fight to go the distance, you, you're pretty safe bet. Yes. Yeah. That is. Uh, that is. Pretty good, pretty good strategy uh, to to at least bet over the two and a half rounds. But yeah, I thought it was a good performance. Uh, Mackenzie Dern will be looking to, yeah, I mean, she basically just called out everyone in front of her. You she you could do a rematch with Marina Rodriguez while she waits because now we have Rose against Carla Esparza. We've had just announced for UFC 275 in Singapore. Zhang Weili is going to be fighting Joanna uh, Ganjacek, who isn't ranked at the moment. So there's a few interesting matchups for Mackenzie Dern. Shit! If I'm uh, if I'm Tisha Torres, I'm blowing up social media and trying to get a rematch because that's a, she, it's because it was a split decision. I know some people had it going for for Tisha Torres as well as one of the judges, but it was a really exciting fight. So it's sellable. You say, hey, while we wait for these other things to shake out, let's run it back. Let's do it again. Why not? They're basically you know 
they're not really going to move anywhere in the rankings, I don't think, uh, off of this. So, you know, that could happen. It was just a really fun, entertaining fight. I'm glad uh, I'm, I'm glad that fight happened. Yeah, it was a ripper. Um, let's talk about Gary, Ian Gary. It, he got the win, which we predicted he would, but it definitely wasn't as easy as maybe we thought it might be. And on, honestly, the, the fight, he looked good. He definitely looked good, but it wasn't the greatest fight, was it? No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. And I think he, he, he showed some really good technical ability with, with his kicks. I'm unsure why he wasn't working his jab more because he was landing that with some good success and he, he was constantly trying to tee up that counter right hand. Um, but it does take two to tango and Darian Weeks was cover, just content to kind of cover up and and not really engage either. It looked like he was scared of, of getting clipped and so it really didn't make for a great fight and a lot of people are, are trashing Ian Gary because he's being brash and all I would say is the kid's 24 years old. Crazy. He's only been training MMA for a few years. I think like five years, something like that, five or six years. He dropped out of university to go and train MMA. So this isn't a kid that grew up doing it with a big background in martial arts or anything, as far as I'm aware. He's moved himself to the side of the world. And yeah, of course, you would have liked a more spectacular performance, but he got the win. He didn't appear to be any in trouble. He showed really good takedown defense. He showed really good ability to work in the clinch against the cage and reverse and put weeks up against the the, 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 the fence there. So, yeah, all in all, I would say uneventful, but technically sound. He went 15 minutes. He'll get a lot of experience from that. And, you know, hopefully he gets a short turnaround because he didn't take any damage. And it'd be great to see him back on a card soon so he can, you know, continue his evolution. Yeah, it's it. He's got such a tough, like, I know he embraces, like, being called the next Connor and kind of, like, rolls into that, you know, the next Irish guy coming up. But... The, the fact that that's even mentioned when he does fight, like, no, there's probably never going to be someone that has this, a similar rise to Connor, even if they're better than him, you know what I mean? Like, it just, that hype and all that, it was just a magical time. And there's just, so, like, so I feel like if he just has a fight like he just had then, people are just going to blast him, like, on the internet. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. And he, if he knows what's good for his career, he will now disassociate, not disassociate himself, but really stop saying, I'm going to be the next Connor and also have the UFC stop putting packages together. That's just pictures of him and Connor McGregor because they're not the same fighter. They're not having the same career trajectory. And that's fine because Connor's rise up to, you know, two, two weight world champion was one of the most electrifying runs in all sports history, let alone MMA history. It was compelling television. You just had to watch every second of it. This is not that with Ian Gary, but he's much younger. He's been around the sport far for a far shorter time than, than than Connor had. So let's just let him develop at his pace. Obviously, the UFC is very interested in in pushing him and marketing him, and I get that, and that's fine. But remember, the kid's twenty four years old. He's barely he's, Hasn't he's even a got baby pubes. compared to yeah, he's a baby compared to a lot of the people in the division. So. Yeah, let's turn him around quickly. He's had a good fifteen minutes in the cage. He won convincingly. Now, let's 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 move on. Yeah. They say you win or you learn. Well, he got to win and learn. So yeah, he got he got both of those things. So real real win win for him. Uh, let's talk about um, Fluffy Hernandez against uh, against Josh Fremd. That was um, that was a really fun fight. That yeah, was just it was. back back and forth. Frem took the fight on, what, 11 days' notice for his UFC debut. I thought he acquitted himself really well. Fluffy Hernandez always brings it. That, that was that was a really fun fight. I just I just enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. It was <laughs> it, it's not that there was terrible fights or anything like that uh, before the main card, but it wasn't just getting me, you know, fucking pumped like a lot of, a lot of the events do because we have been spoiled in recent times. But this was a, a very satisfying fight to watch. I um, didn't know much about both of these guys. Well, I guess I still don't, but I've seen them now both fight. And uh, I think they're both going to... It was kind of like, not with the same uh, publicity or hype, but they both didn't lose any respect in my books um, from that fight, for sure. I think they were just 
absolute warriors doing what they can do and probably the highlight of a I don't want to say average because it's not fair, but, you know, not an exhilarating undercard. No, no, well, definitely, definitely uh, wasn't exhilarating, although there was a great finish by Mike Malott knocking out Mickey Gall uh, in very devastating fashion uh, and then proceeding to announce that he was going to be donating part of his fight purse to his boxing coach's uh, daughter's cancer battle, which, you know, Incredibly inspiring. Yeah, amazing. And Dana Dana did the, the right thing at the press conference saying, you know, like he did with, um, like he did with, uh, I'm having a mind blank. Um, I, I can't remember I'm, the name either, but it was very. Bryce recent. Mitchell. Bryce Mitchell. Yep. Um, saying Thug he was going to be donating money to charity. Thug Nasty. Exactly. Oh my gosh. My brain is like soup right now. you got to get sleep, people. Sleep is majorly important. Um yeah, so like he did, keep the money and he'll make the donation himself. I hope he gives him a little locker room bonus as well because A, it was a great performance and B, it's clear he's going to make excellent use of all the funds that he has. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to call him out there. Any other thoughts? Uh, and yeah, I mean, we've got, to, we've got to talk about Kay Hansen. Um, I think not in terms of the fight itself, but just nah, where her nah, career is nah, going. Nah, nah. Yeah, no, for now. No, no. I mean, she's she's twenty. She's twenty two years old. Yeah. Um. She's now. I believe this was the last fight of her UFC contract. She missed weight significantly, gave twenty percent of her purse to opponent, and then can, proceeded to lose, uh, in, you know, in a unanimous decision. Yeah. Three fight losing streak. The UFC invested in her. You know, she was the young next sort of hot thing in the division, got a big following on Twitter. She likes to take photographs and put them on the internet. And, you know, it just, her online presence and personality hasn't matched up to her performances in the cage as of yet. She put out a nice message on Twitter saying, you know, she was disappointed in performance. She's young. She's still learning. She wants to do everything she can to bounce back, et cetera, et cetera. I think it would be good for her to, uh, leave the UFC, go to you know the PFL or Bellator, something like that, build herself back up, get some experience, continue a development outside of the bright lights of the UFC because because of her profile, there is a certain expectation that comes with that. Go and get some wind on your belt, mature a little bit, get some get some strength into you and, uh, and, and come back to the UFC at a later date if that's what she decides to do. But I think it's quite clear that she's going to be cut from the UFC now. Yeah, she'll be fighting Paige Van Sant on OnlyFans. But anyway, I want to talk about <laughs> the press conference. The press yes. conference is one of the highlights of pay-per-views, especially when they're quite eventful. And Dana was up up on the stand first up. And it wasn't the first question he was asked, but it was one of the first questions he was asked was because of Volk's dominant win, you know, you're going to get a pay-per-view in Australia. And he basically ruled it out and – his first fucking argument was, didn't the F1 just get cancelled? Uh, no, Dana. Actually, while I was watching your press conference on the TV next to you, uh, was I was watching the F1 where there was probably 100,000 people at Albert Park and they did say there's been 400,000 people there over the weekend. I am willing to go out on a limb and say, I know a UFC event's hard to organise, but I bet you an F1 event is just slightly harder to organise logistically than a fucking UFC pay-per-view, especially when you can get a shitload of fighters from Australia, from New Zealand um, over here. Shut the fuck up with that. That's either a piss-weak excuse and you're, and you're lying to us, trying to tell us that basically it can't happen when you know it can happen, but you're too much of a bitch to do it, or... You actually are clueless, and hopefully someone lets you know ASAP that, uh, no, the F1s weren't pulled from the track this weekend. That happened two years ago. You've read a clickbait article. Um, and get those fights here because Volkanovski, for one, even he said about he said it in his presser, he deserves a fight in Australia defending his title, and uh, Australia deserves one too. So we've got George Cambosis' fight at Marvel Stadium on uh, June 6th, I think it is, which is he's fighting a, a, a boxer from the US for a title. Kevin Haney. And, that, and it's at Marvel, which is the exact same place they had 
the last UFC pay-per-view in Australia. So I can't see any arguments for Dana other than we can't be fucked, which is fair, but you need to say that in the press conference, mate. I'm not happy about it. I was uh, I was filthy at that, but then once Volk came on, he basically said, I'll be having a word with Dana. I think he's wrong there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he saved me. Well, I for one of my optimism and I actually didn't see the bit where he was clueless about the F1. I just missed that bit in the press conference. That's funny that he didn't know that. I would love, obviously, to see it happen in Australia, even though I'm not there now. I want you to have that experience. I want the Australian fans to have that experience. It will be an absolute barn burner. Volkanovski will make so much money. There's going to be a ton of fights that they could put on that car. It would be brilliant. Tied to Ivasa, uh, Jack Della Madalena. Bobby Knuckles. Uh, Bobby Knuckles, of course. You could get Dan Hooker on that Dizzy. card. Let's if it's so hard to put together and you can't think of a card, you could probably put together one of the best ever cards if you really wanted to. 100%. 100%. But this is still why I think it's not going to happen. One, the schedule is pretty close to being tied up already for the rest of the year. Two, the UFC has only gone internationally to a fight island where they've got like an agreement with the Abu Dhabi government to, to, to allow that to happen and two to the UK, and they arrived in the UK as all COVID restrictions. And I mean, all of them were being scrapped and are no longer active in the country. Now, I know the F1 has been there, and they're going to have Devin Haney come and fight Combosis, but that will just be Devin Haney and his team. The promotion will all be done by Australian company. It'll be Australian undercard fighters, much smaller production than bringing the UFC over. Now, in terms of the F1, that is a massive economic boon to the city of Melbourne, the state of Victoria, much bigger. And as big as the UFC will be, the F1 brings a different level of bankroll. And I think that they had assurances in place that nothing was going to derail it because if they did it again, that would probably spell the end of the F1 in Australia or at least for, for the foreseeable future. And so the reason why I don't think it's going to happen, because if there is a 5% chance that COVID might derail it, Dana White's not going to do it. It's just, it's not worth it to them losing that revenue. They only do 12 pay-per-view events a year. Losing the revenue of one of them would be a, would, would be a huge blow for the UFC. And while there's a 5% chance that Australia could turn around and say, okay, we're restricting the borders, or that because of the shit show of state-by-state state, you know, governments changing their minds and still... This is, this is what people I don't think realize is that all of the state governments have the emergency health powers still in place to be able to overnight change things based off of COVID outbreaks or hotspots. And I think while that threat or possibility is still there, I just don't see them doing it. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to be proven wrong and see them go no. to Australia in June, July, August, get it happening, because it would be amazing. It would be one of the best cards. It would sell so well. The crowd would be electric. The gate would be record-breaking, that it would be amazing. But even if there's a small chance that it could all go tits up, then I think Dana White's just not going to do it. He's going to go between the the places he's already, he's already listed and, and Fight Island. So I would love to see it happen. I'm just a little bit more skeptical that it is going to happen. Yeah, I guess you're probably right. But I, I think, um, uh, like, unless... There's some sort of I don't even want to talk about COVID, but um yeah, you might be right, but I, I think I think there's there's equally the same amount of chance of it being cancelled here as there would be in the in the UK right now. Like there there isn't a chance it wouldn't happen if if it was happening like next month, it just won't get cancelled. Like yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, it's just that the UFC brings over all of their own people, right? I like like the F one. But they bring over all of their own people. They bring over, they ship over everything. They fly over everything, all of the staff, etc. They don't really. They can do it. Local. Yeah. Well, I hope so. I re I really, really hope they do because it'd be amazing to see Volk out in front of a, of a home crowd. Like you said, he's not defended his belt there. I really want that to happen. So I really, I hope, I hope it can, uh, I hope it can be done. And and Dana White and the UFC can can find a state government that's willing to work with them and give them the necessary assurances to make it happen. Yeah, I think. Um... Just don't try. Perth. Honestly, I think it, yeah. <laughs> Melbourne or Sydney, and probably Melbourne will um, 
would yep. be prepared to do that. They're, they're, Melbourne, the Victorian government has always been the most savvy when it comes to sport, like the most supportive. Yep. Um, so hopefully it stays that way. Hopefully, yeah, someone can just be like, Fingers crossed, and you'll be down. You'll be down there. You'll be on boots on the ground, mate. Oh, hundred live, big J journalist. Yeah, if not, I'll be going to Singapore. (laughs) (laughs) Why not both? True, true. If you're listening there, Rupert, (laughs) he does. Um, He, of course, he's our number one fan. Number one fan, day one listener. Um, Anything else you want to talk about? Performance of the night bonuses, obviously. we talked about Chemayev and Burns getting fight the night. Uh, Gilbert Burns getting his win bonus. Volkanovski and Olenek got performances the night. Crazy to see Olenek just still doing it. It was his 60th professional win. And then afterwards, I don't know if you saw the clip doing around. Um, what did he say? Van der Rohe came up to him and was like, how did you do that? And he taught him the submission backstage. He showed him a detail on the submission backstage after the fight. I just oh, thought that gangster. was so cool. Yeah. That is so gangster. And just like so uh, humble of Van der Rohe to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like you're a grappling wizard. Please show me so I can learn and become better. I thought that was a really, really cool moment. So teach me, uh, <laughs> teach me your ways. Wise one. Congrats to Alexei Olenek on his 60th, 60th career win. Uh, and for the first time there was the fan voted crypto.com bonus where there was a, I believe 50 or $60,000 uh, per, pool of Bitcoin to be voted for by the fans split between the top, uh, split between three uh, as voted by the fans. And I believe it was Peter Young got 10 grand. Um, Volk got uh, a chunk. Volk got, Volk got 20 grand and or 30 grand or whatever we've got. And then, and then, then Hamza Chumayev got, got what, what the remaining Porsche was, but they get that in US dollar value versus Bitcoin, which is cool. Yeah. It's just another thing. And it's actually something that one FC does. One FC does their performance of the night bonus as, as a fan vote. And in his retirement fight, John Wayne Park got the, the 50 grand oh. uh, fan vote, which was really cool to see. And he put up a nice emotional video. He put up an emotional video. If you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out on his Instagram or social media. He gets it's well <laughs> significant money, and he said with with the fifty grand, he's paying off paying off the last of his his house. So, really, a nice way to bring his fighting career to to a close. Warrior paying off paying off his mortgage. A true legend of the sport. So, yeah, hat tip to John Wayne Parr and all he's been able to do in, in combat sports. What a legend! Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, before we look ahead to UFC Vegas fifty one, Luke versus Mohammed, is there anything else you want to talk about? UFC 273. No, just I love you, Alex Volkanovski. Couldn't be prouder to be an Aussie every time we fight and cannot wait to see what, what's next for him. Um, it's uh, hopefully a magical weekend for the Aussies. Let's see if Cam Smith can uh, make up a few shots in the final round of the Masters. He's currently second, but uh, Scheffler is on fucking fire. Um, oh, one other thing, actually. Going from watching this insane card to immediately flicking over to the Formula Ones. Wow, I've never enjoyed a Formula One race less than that moment. Like, it's I know it, this Formula One is not, you know, it's exhilarating in terms of what they do, but watching it isn't the most exhilarating thing at all times unless it's really close or there's some drama happening. And this was a particularly kind of boring race, actually. The winner was kind of decided very early. And uh, but going just from that manic UFC atmosphere to just watching F ones, I was honestly like nearly falling asleep on the couch, like with that just like monotone commentary and just <laughs> yeah, I was like, mate, you were nearly falling asleep, bloody <laughs> hell! I was, I've been injecting myself with caffeine to keep my keep my eyes open. Oh, yeah, um, you're on the wrong yeah I, I know exactly. <laughs> I know ex- I know. Ex- <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, though. Uh, it did, like you said, though, it didn't help. It wasn't the most enthralling GP, as you said. It was pretty settled, and then yeah. when Verstappen's car went, it was like, oh wow, this is, this but, is really curtains. But yeah, um, I put my hand up. I am a. I wouldn't say a Netflix bandwagoner, but since the Netflix thing, I am just a. I'd way rather watch the Netflix episodes than watch the races oh, nowadays. I, I'm a Netflix bandwagoner. I did not <laughs> care. So many people pretend they're not, and it's like, motherfucker, oh. it is so much better to just watch these on, on Netflix than <laughs> sit and watch these races. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, they do a great, they do a great uh, production of it, and 
hopefully, hopefully we get some kind of UFC documentary series by the same production company. That would be sick and help take. Well, the apparently there's a surfing one level ready to go for app, uh, Apple of producing it though. Literally similar thing. Oh yeah, so no, so no one's going to watch it because a it's on Apple TV, which nobody gives a shit about, and b it's about surfing. I so. think it's just you that doesn't give a shit about the biggest company on planet Earth, and b and b no one gave a shit about F one either. <laughs> No, that's not true. F1 was still a, like a Surfing huge global is sport. Huge as well. It's um no, but is let's, it though? I, I actually feel like surfing might be even better in a documentary than the F1, just purely because I'm not going to sit and watch surfing events at all. Like I actually would sit and watch some F1, but surfing, it's like I'm re- really not gonna unless I'm just laying at home bored and it's on like KO or something. Like it would be pretty cool. I feel like because it's just cool to watch surfing highlights. So like a really well made. Is it though? Fuck yeah, I love surfing. Don't you just <laughs> watch waves come in and you just, for a brief moment, understand the entire universe just by watching waves crash and land on the sand? Well, not, you really were born su- in a landlocked country, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean the island of Great Britain? No, I mean Hungary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Um, all right, so that was UFC 273, a brilliant card, uh, You know, especially those top three fights. All our expectations, uh, I think, were met, and the UFC just keeps delivering. The next pay-per-view on tap is going to be absolutely electric, and the one after that. So we're obviously going to be doing preview, review shows for all of those mm-hmm. pay-per-views. But now, next week, the hits keep on coming, and we get some more clarity at 170 pounds in this now very exciting division. We get a rematch, Vicente Luque against Bilal Mohamed. They fought... Over five years ago, Vincente Luque won that fight. They're both different fighters now. And Bilal Mohamed is, let's be honest, he's not an entertaining fighter. But my <laughs> goodness, he is effective at what he does. And I think Vincente Luque is a badass, a true, legit, uh, you know, elite fighter at 170 pounds. And I'm so curious to see how Bilal solves this puzzle because Luke is legit off his back. He's got great grappling and his striking is great as well. So I'm very, very curious to see what Bilal Muhammad can do. I'm also curious to see, because um, I believe Ramadan's on at the moment, and I know uh, Bilal Muhammad is, a, uh, is, is, is obviously Muslim. So I'm, I'm curious to see if and how that affects his preparations and how, how he goes making weight and whether that affects his performance. I know other fighters have done it before, but... That certainly can't be easy. So he's probably adjusted quite a lot to be going into this. So I'm curious to see if that has an effect on his performance. I think there's uh, well, and what sort actually, of fight I, we get. I'm not going to say I think there's. I just know of one exact case of an AFL player who's the exact same. And during Ramadan, there are these slight leniencies religiously for when when you can eat and when you can't eat if it's like on performance and stuff like that. Like they do allow athletes to eat slightly differently at certain points, um, but it is still a struggle for sure. So that was this one guy that I watched like a, you know, short video on when he was talking about it. But uh, hopefully it's the same for him because it would be fucking near impossible otherwise. Uh, yeah, yeah. It will be really tough, but very excited to see how this plays out because, as I said, it does have implications. And I think the clear thing to do is give the winner of this fight to Gilbert Burns next when he's good and ready to go. Other than that, you know, there isn't a bunch of like standout household names on this card. Uh, you know, you got Miguel Baeza, who will be looking to get back to winning ways. He started 10 and 0 in his career, dropped a couple of uh, tough losses, but he's a heck of a fighter. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. William Knight is going to be fighting for his UFC career against Devin Clark at the top of the undercard because he's really struggled with making weight in his performances. Uh, and fan favorite Chris Barnett. That is going to be that's going to be a fun one. Chris Barnett uh, coming back after his UFC uh, debut, his success uh, at heavyweight there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that as yep, well. Me so too. you know, it's going to be a good fight night. They always they always uh, over deliver these fight nights. So if you again, if you're more of a casual fan, maybe you don't get to watch it live, but you know, treat yourself. Sit down with a couple of beers. Chuck on the replay on Fight Pass or KO or wherever you might be watching and, and enjoy this because guaranteed there will be some good scraps on this card. That's it. That's it. Do I give it? Do I give the plug? Are you ready for the plug? I'm ready. All right. Uh, at Punch Drunk Pod, 
uh, on TikTok. Let's leave with TikTok at PunchDrunkPod on Instagram at PunchDrunkPod underscore on Twitter where Lewis does his best work, even tweets in first person. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> PunchDrunkPod at gmail.com. Um, send us your love letters. Uh, Lewis gets a fair few of those. Punch Drunk Pod on YouTube and please on Spotify, on Apple, give us a five-star rating if you can. Um, it's amazing to see that we're still on a five-star rating on Spotify as well. Um, Apple's doing really well and, yeah, for those supporting us, really appreciate it. Sometimes I forget that people are listening, say some things I shouldn't have got a few texts from my mother over the last few episodes. <laughs> but um, other than that, so good to see you, mate. Sorry, Mrs. Anything? Adam. <laughs> anything you wanted to add, mate? No, I think you I think you've done it. This was great. It was really fun to uh, to do this right after the event as well. And if we're able to, you know, in in the future, we should we should try and time this up as well. And um, it just while well, it's all fresh and you're still yep. high off it, so it doesn't always work out that way. But uh, I got to got to dash back over to the UK tomorrow. So I wasn't going to be able to do the pod this week. So thanks for being flexible, mate. It's always good to, uh, thank you for just get, your determination to get these done. Well, you know, it's all about the fans, Adam. Fans are our number one priority. Oh, I don't our give listeners, a fuck about it. Our great audience. <laughs> <laughs> just joking. I love uh, you right. listeners and I love you too, Lewis. All right, man. Thanks. Love you too.